You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Thank you, moms, everyone, for being here. We are here to celebrate you today um, and just excited to dive into God's Word with you. Man, I love stories. Uh, I thank you guys for being part of uh, my story, as I said already, for allowing me to share mine and, uh, and my friend's story as well. Uh, it's just awesome. And I am thrilled to lead you guys this morning through what I consider to be one of the most epic stories in the Old Testament. And that is saying something, because if you've ever read the Old Testament before, you know that it is overflowing with stories of the most epic proportions, stories of warriors and kings, of battles and bloodshed, of victories and defeat. Uh, And I love that. And the story we're going to journey through today is comprised of many of these epic moments. But the reason I love it so much isn't because of those moments. It's actually because of the people in the story. Two people, two women, in fact, who God uses as part of his perfect plan to draw all people to himself, to make his great name known. These women that we're going to talk about today, though seemingly opposed in their dispositions due to varying backgrounds, vocations, and geographic positions, they found common ground in one place, and that was their steadfast and undying devotion to the mission of God. I now want to direct you guys uh, to your attention to Judges chapter 4, where the first scene of our story is set. And typically, I would invite you to stand with me to honor God's word, but I'm not going to lie. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today, so I don't want to be doing like a -a whack-a-mole situation where you're just up and down and up and down. Uh, So I'll spare you from that, but uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture. And I also, I warned first service this about halfway through, uh, there's a lot of big words in these verses that we're going to read. So I did my best to learn how to pronounce them all, but bear with me, and you can laugh if they sound funny. Uh, All right, so uh, you can join with me in reading the account of this segment of the Israelites' journey in Judges chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Read with me. It says this, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because Jabin had 900 iron chariots, and he harshly oppressed them for 20 years. Our story opens on the Israelites in a position of suffering. And if you've read any position, I'm sorry, any portion of the Old Testament, you will know that suffering was not unfamiliar to the Israelites. No, they knew suffering well. But this suffering was unique in that it wasn't due to the harsh desert conditions that they were in, uh, a lack of food, lack of water, or even backbreaking slavery. No. Their suffering at this point was in direct correlation with their disobedience. Have you guys ever been there? Like you are just riding the struggle bus and you know it's probably not because you missed your morning coffee. It's just because maybe you're being disobedient to what God's asked you to do. I wish I could say that's an unfamiliar feeling to me, but it's not. 
Uh, but the Israelites were suffering at this point under the oppression of Jabin, who was king of Canaan, and his unparalleled army because they had failed to obey God's clear instructions to them. And his instructions were to drive out the Canaanites from the land that they had just taken possession of. And now you might be asking, why would God command this to drive out an entire nation from their land? I remember thinking that as I read, like, that feels a little bit extreme, right? Well, the answer is actually simple. The Canaanites lived their lives contrary to the holiness of God. Most commentators note that their greatest threat to Israel was not in their army, but in their religion. They were deeply rooted in idol worship. The Canaanites' religion idealized the opposite of everything God stood for. Cruelty and war, sexual immorality and promiscuity, uh, selfishness, greed, materialism. And while they might have thought differently, the God of Israel knew that his people were not strong enough to resist the temptation of this idolatrous religion. They had proven that time and time and time again throughout the, the Old Testament. So they were to drive out the Canaanites to maintain their purity as a people set apart to bless all the nations. Now, I want to pause just for a moment to point out two essential facets of the mission of God, because we're going to be talking a lot about the mission of God in this message. Firstly, just as God set apart the people of Israel, he sets us apart from the immorality, the selfishness, and the materialism of our present society. Secondly, we are set apart so that we can bless all nations. This has always been God's mission from the beginning of time. It's revealed in the Abrahamic covenant. We are set apart in holiness so that we can draw people into the beautiful, perfect, covenantal relationship with God that we get to experience. This is his mission for us, that we would be set apart so that we can draw others in. It may feel a little strange, a little backwards, maybe paradoxical, but the kingdom of God often does. So just wanted to establish that for us first. So when the text in verse one of this passage states that the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, this was serious. It was a big deal. And their failure to drive out the Canaanites they began to engage in the same idolatrous practices as their neighbors. You become like the people you spend the most time with, right? And that was true for the Israelites. They were compromising their identity as a set-apart people and forfeiting God's mission. And so, because of their disobedience, the Lord allowed the Israelites to experience suffering for a time under the hand of King Jabin and the commander of his army, Sisera. And we're going to talk about Sisera a lot more later. For 20 years, they experienced this, this oppression, and it was harsh oppression, the text tells us. They were in desperate need of a miracle, of a change in their present reality. Have you guys ever been there before? 
All right, well, I'm going to pray for us and just ask God to continue to reveal uh, the truth of his word as we dive more deeply into these scriptures. So uh, join with me as we pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here, uh, to study your word, to celebrate uh, moms and women today, um, and just to really examine these two incredible women of the Bible today. God, I ask that you would speak, Holy Spirit, uh, reveal the truth of your word, open our hearts, and just begin to speak to us and transform us even as we engage right now in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's pick up our story in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Follow along with me. It says this, Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you and I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, he said to Deborah, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Can you blame him? I will gladly go with you, she said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kedesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Deborah was a woman of great strength and character. Her name in Hebrew is translated as bee, like, like a bumblebee. And commentator Matthew Henry notes that she beautifully exemplifies this name. He says this, she answered her name by her industry, sagacity, and great usefulness to the public, her sweetness to her friends, and her sharpness to her enemies. I just love that description. Based on the text, we can understand these things about Deborah. First of all, she was a woman of revered position and wisdom. We see here that at this point in history, Deborah served as Israel's judge. Now, judges were appointed as the heroic leaders of Israel at this time. Uh, they were called by God to serve as mediators, administrators, military leaders, and providers of rest and peace. And Judges tells us that the people of Israel would go to Deborah, and she would engage in that God-ordained position to settle their disputes and their grievances. Secondly, Deborah was intimately acquainted with God. Don't you want that to be said about you? I know I do, that we're intimately acquainted with God. The text tells us that Deborah was a prophetess, indicating that she was in constant communication with her Father in heaven. She heard the voice and the prophetic instruction of God and allowed it to inform everything she said and did. Deborah was intimately acquainted with God. Thirdly, Deborah was devoted to the mission of God. 
Day after day, she would sit under that palm tree, discerning the direction of God on behalf of her people. Matthew Henry writes this about her, that the children of Israel came up to Deborah from all parts for judgment, not so much for the deciding of controversies between man and man, as for advice in the reformation of what was amiss in things pertaining to God. When the children of Israel came to her for judgment, with her they found salvation. So those that seek God for grace shall have grace and peace, grace and comfort, grace and glory. It was by these characteristics, her wisdom, her sensitivity to the presence of God and her devotion to his mission that Deborah was able to courageously promote Barak to deploy 10,000 troops to fight against Jabin's deadly army and his commander Sisera. And when Barak faltered in his confidence, which like I said, can you blame him? That sounds terrifying. It was Deborah's intimate acquaintance with God that allowed her to go with him into battle. As a woman in ancient Israel, she was absolutely ill-equipped and ill-prepared to go into warfare. Have you guys ever felt that way about a situation? Like, oh, I am just not prepared at all for this. Uh, she was ill-equipped, but, uh, and just to stand aside, uh, commander of 10,000 troops, but in that commitment to God's mission, she went anyway. Deborah was a warrior on the battlefield. Our story continues in Judges chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and you can turn your attention to this next section of scripture, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize these verses for us. So at this point in the story, warfare broke out between uh, Barak and Deborah's 10,000 troops on this side and Sisera's 900 chariots and army on this side. They were pretty unevenly matched with Sisera in favor, absolutely, but Remembering that the Lord had gone before them and winning the victory, Barak and the troops came down from Mount Tabor preparing to assault Sisera's army. And at this point it gets interesting because to everyone's shock, the Lord in his power and might threw Sisera, all his charioteers, and all of his army into a panic. They were terrified and it caused them to dramatically fall by the sword to the Israelite army. Not a single man was left, the scriptures tell us. Isn't that wild? And so watching his army just be totally decimated, Sisera had no choice but to flee. He was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Peace out. And he ran. And so that's where we pick up in Judges 4, 17. Uh, you can follow along with me here. It says this, meanwhile... Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazer and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord. Come in with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk. I love that. He was like, I have water. And she's like, I can do you better. Here's some milk. She gave him a drink and covered him again. It's like she was just tucking him into bed. Like, all right, Sisera, go to sleep now. Uh, then he said to her, stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, is there a man here? Say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera, 
She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. Wowza, that is crazy. So uh, before we address just the absolute crazy that we just witnessed, let's take a moment to learn a little bit about our newest character in the story, JL. It's important that we understand a couple things about her. Firstly, JL was a woman without position or prestige. Unlike Deborah, JL was not found judging and discerning the disputes of her people, and she most certainly was not found on the battlefield leading troops. Rather, she likely spent the bulk of her days in the home, caring for her husband, her children, and any travelers who happened to be passing through. In ancient Israel, it was her humble duty uh, to practice hospitality, caring for the needs of all who entered her tent. She was to make them feel safe and secure and honored. JL lived a life void of great excitement in the view of most people, one that was hidden but one that was essential to her family, to her people, and to the Lord. Secondly, and we're going to see a theme here, JL was devoted to the mission of God. Sound familiar? Something interesting as I was studying uh, that I found was this. JL wasn't an Israelite. This means that her people were not worshipers of the God of Israel. And yet, she recognized even as a Kenite woman, the sovereignty of the one true God and his evident hand at work in her midst. So when a weary and war-beaten Sisera stumbled upon her lowly tent, she seized the opportunity that she saw. Jael didn't cower when faced with this powerful commander before her. Instead, she engaged strategically with what she knew she had to do. And using the resources nearest to her, a tent peg and a hammer, she did what an army of 10,000 troops couldn't. And in one divinely appointed moment, she destroyed the people of Israel's greatest enemy in one fell swoop. Isn't that wild? In doing so, she confirmed Deborah's prophecy that Cicero would fall at the hands of a woman. And that revealed to her fellow Kenites and all of the people of Canaan the victory of the one true God. I love Dick Brogdon remarks this about JL, that she weaponized her hospitality and God was glorified among the nations because of it. JL was a warrior in the home. And so after examining the two, uh, just the overwhelming chaos of this story, we're left with these two characters, Deborah and JL, two different women Two different backgrounds, two different positions, two different life stories, and yet they were both used evidently, powerfully, to further the mission of God. And there are countless lessons to be drawn from the story. We could just spend hours unpacking it, but I believe that there are a few to which God is directing us for this day, for the Gateway Church on Mother's Day. And the first is this, Deborah and Jael were not God's second choice for his mission. As women in ancient Israel, Deborah and Jael would have been viewed by societal standards as second-tier individuals, but not by God's standards. God has always seen women as necessary and crucial contributors to his mission to see all people know him. To deliver the people of Israel from their oppressors, God could have chosen any willing vessel but he didn't choose just any. He chose Deborah. 
He chose Jael. These women weren't God's backup plan. They were his best plan for Israel's deliverance at this point in his mission. And I'm here to tell you today that when it comes to his mission, you are not God's second choice. Far from it, in fact. You may have been trained to believe whether it was by your parents, your siblings, maybe your classmates, your coworkers, your boss, societal expectations, your own sense of self-identity, that you are unworthy or unfit to contribute to the kingdom of God. Allow me to be the first to tell you that that could not be further from the truth. You are not God's backup plan. You are his best plan. And just by opening yourself up to his leading, he will use you to make his name known among all people. Secondly, and worship team, you can start making your way up. Deborah and Jael were uniquely positioned, but equally effective. I'll say that one again. Deborah and Jael were uniquely positioned, but equally effective. As we've examined Judges chapter 4, we have established that there's a glaring difference between these women. Deborah, she was a warrior on the battlefield, leading thousands of troops into warfare. She demonstrates courage and visionary leadership. And in contrast, Jael was a warrior in the home, using her resources as a wife, most likely a mother and a host. She invited Sisera in fed him, gave him rest, and at the perfect time, defeated him with nothing but a hammer and a tent peg. Deborah and Jael were separated by various experiences, people groups, and backgrounds, but they were perfectly positioned to engage in the divinely appointed moments that led to God's glory among the nations. And in the same way, when it comes to God's mission, you have been uniquely positioned. I want to speak uh, just for a moment to the women in the room. Today is Mother's Day, and I am thrilled to celebrate with those of you who are moms. My own mom was here for service. Uh, moms are incredible. But I also want to recognize that for today, uh, today marks one of painful realities, memories, and experiences for some. In whatever season you find yourself in, we are here interceding for you and with you, and we're here with open arms. But I want to remind you that whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, you have been uniquely positioned. Women, to those of you battling it out in the marketplace, to those of you battling it out with three under three at home, to those who are single, to those who have been married for 20 years, to those who are divorced and healing, to those experiencing joy in every area of their life, and to those who are in a season of suffering. God sees you. He loves you. And he has uniquely positioned you for his glory. Whether you're a warrior on the battlefield or a warrior in the home, you have been uniquely positioned to draw everyone you encounter, your family, your coworkers, into covenant relationship with the Lord. And to everyone in the room, no matter your age, your gender, your season of life, your socioeconomic standing, your relationship status, you have been uniquely positioned 
to participate in the mission of God. Students, when you find yourself in the classroom, on the field, punching in at work, remember, you are uniquely positioned. To those more mature in your years, when you greet your neighbors on the way out the door, when you meet for dinner with your friends, when you speak to the cashier at the grocery store, remember, you have been uniquely positioned. I could go on and on, but my point remains the same. That just like Deborah and JL, we have each been uniquely positioned in our spheres of influence to participate in the mission of God. When I wake up every morning, I have to remind myself, I may be the only example of God's presence that my coworkers experience today. I may be the only person that prays either silently or verbally for my waitress this week. I may even be the only Christian this person has ever met. Wherever I am, I have a choice to continue to live my life as if God hasn't redeemed and transformed it, or like Deborah and JL, to fully engage in his mission when the time comes. And the time will come daily, hourly even, minute by minute. So as we spend these next few moments in worship, I want to encourage you to just quiet yourself before the Lord and ask him this simple question. Say, God, what is my position in your mission? I told first service, I promise I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I really didn't intend that, but it will hopefully help us remember it. But just ask God, what is my position in your mission? And I promise you, he will be faithful to reveal it to you if you just listen, if you just open your heart, open your eyes, open your mind to what he has to say, he will speak. He's been speaking to me for a long time, and I'm really glad that over these past several months, I've even just begun to start listening to him. Uh, so uh, let's pray and uh, spend some time in worship. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you for the mothers. I thank you for the women in all seasons and also for husbands, for students. God, for everyone in every season, thank you for drawing us here together to spend time in your presence, to read your word, and to just be led into what you're calling us to do as we open our hearts and ask what you would be asking us to engage in, uh, would you remind us of what you've done for us? Remind us of the price that you paid for us on the cross, of our sins that were washed away in a single moment. Remind us of how you've transformed us, how you've healed us, how you've redeemed us, and let that inform everything we do and everything we say. Would you speak to us? Would you humble us at the foot of the cross this morning? Continue to lead us. Continue to guide us. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's worship.
Lord Jesus, I just thank you for what you are doing in this place this morning. I thank you for the word uh, that Pastor Reagan brought to us today. And I just pray that it would pierce our hearts, that you would remind us that we are not plan B, that we are not your second choice, but you have called us, you have set us apart. God, that you have put us in a position for mission today. And God, so I pray that you would uh, continue to equip us, that you would continue to challenge us, that you would uh, continue to encourage us as you are sending us out onto our own mission mission field to a lost, to a broken, and to a hurting world. And as I was just reflecting on Reagan's message, as I was sitting there, um, God, it encouraged me that you can do through one person what you couldn't do with 10,000 other people, that you have called me to a place that if I am in where you have called me to be, that I can do more than uh, 10,000 other people couldn't. Lord God, that you've put me around the right friends, that you've put me around the right co-workers, that you've put me around the right classmates, around the, 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 the people, uh, our next door neighbors, that you've positioned us at a place to be used by you, God. And so I pray that you would just challenge our hearts today, that you would put us uh, to action, that this wouldn't just be something uh, that makes us feel good on Sunday morning, but this would be something that challenges us on Monday as well. Lord God, you are equipping us to reach uh, that neighbor we don't get along with. You are equipping us to reach uh, that classmate that everyone ignores. You are equipping us, God, to be a light to the person who's sitting next to us in the car. God, open our eyes to see the mission field that you've put before us. Let us be used by you. Let this be an extension of our worship that we are laying down our lives to be used by you. God, I pray that you will equip us, that you will send us, that you will encourage us every step of the way, that you will be before us, behind us, and all around us. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor because only you deserve it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for service. Uh, you can go in the grace of God, and I hope everyone here has a happy and a wonderful Mother's Day. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.